Let's open our Bibles, or it's in your worship folder there. Matthew 21. And you think, gee, Rand, you, you preach a lot out of Matthew 21. As well, it's, it's the passage for today. Uh, and you know there are only a couple passages that fit Christ coming in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And you know, there's only a couple passages that fit next Sunday too, when he comes out of the grave. I know I didn't want to give it away, but I guess it's too late now. Um, he comes out. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one who has conquered death, who has come out of the grave. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we turn to Matthew 21? Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is great to be here today, for we do not worship a God who is just an image, a God who used to be alive, a God who um, is of our own imagining. We serve and worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ who is still alive and sitting on the right hand of the throne of glory, awaiting, Heavenly Father, your command to return to gather his church, take them to where he has been, for he has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come back. As we read your word today, Lord, open our eyes that we might see this, that it might live within us. Send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. This is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Well, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Well, who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, I just remind you as we look at this and we begin Holy Week or Easter Week, Fully one-third of the material within all four Gospels is devoted to these seven days. One-third of the material. Now, in the economy of words that Scripture is, uh, often uses, it doesn't always explain things to us. Uh, at, at the uh, crucifixion of Christ, you know, the, the tombs were open and the dead came out. Well, that's all it says about it. I'd like to know more, but it's not important. Well, you're going to get every detail about this week in the Gospels. Why? Because this week is so, so very important. 
Now, even even though Jesus has given evidence as to why he was coming to Jerusalem, remember? He says he focused his, put his face towards Jerusalem and says, I'm going to go, I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to die and give my life as a payment for sin. And some of his apostles said, no, no, you're not going to do that. He says, yes, that's the purpose I'm why I'm going there. Even though that was happening, the crowds, as we can see, are pretty celebratory in their mood and in their actions, and that's the way Jesus wanted it to be. His entry in Jerusalem was planned. It was planned both by himself and it was planned by the Godhead before creation that this would happen in this way. So in a sense, it is his coronation not coronation in the way that the world understands it remember don't remember you weren't alive then uh the coronation of queen victoria 1838 not even bill galloway was alive then some of you will remember bill Um, queen victoria when she was uh, coronated on her crown was a diamond of 309 carats okay now, ladies, you can look if you have a, a ring and you can go, okay, well, that's half a carat, that's a carat, um, three, and, and just go exponentially 309. And in the tip of her scepter was a stone that was cut from the star of Africa. The stone in the tip of her scepter was 516 carats. So just go almost double the, the other one. So, you know, that's a in the vernacular, that's a big honking diamond, okay? Now, that's a diamond fit for a queen, and just the queen of England, okay? Not the king of kings and the lord of lords. The instruments of Jesus' coronation were a colt, some blankets, a palm branch, and eventually a crown of thorns. That would be the king of all the universe. But 500 years Prior to his entry, it was planned, as we see from the prophets, as they talk about the plan of our Heavenly Father. Zechariah wrote that the king would come gentle and on a donkey. In fact, it wasn't just the 500 years, it was planned from all eternity past. Now, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a time of celebration. The people thought, perhaps not all, but enough thought that he was going to come in, he was the king, the Messiah that they've been waiting for, the one who was going to run these Romans out of town, okay, and, and, and restore the Jewish people to their position uh, as the chosen people of God. But on Palm Sunday, is about Jesus saying to everyone in Jerusalem, now is the point in history, now is the time for you to know who I really am. Now, that's it's very significant because we can look back in Scripture and at various times in Jesus' ministry, and he really had two approaches to revealing who he was. To his inner circle of 12, uh, he would repeatedly talk about who he was. Remember at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, well, who do the people say I am? And they say, oh, you're... Um, Uh, Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter gives this response. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And really that is the only way that you can say and believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God if our father in heaven reveals that to you. Jesus goes on. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that's the proclamation of the identity of Christ, I will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just as an aside, you remember gates are typically defensive. They are not offensive. The church is the one that is on the offense. We take, and the only offensive weapon we have is right here, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. We take it into all the world, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the spread of the gospel. That's what Jesus was saying there. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now just think from, from my human perspective, if the guy that I've been following for almost three years now says plainly, I am the Messiah, I am the son of the living God, it's pretty exciting news something that you would want to spread out but Jesus says don't tell anybody about it now he has revealed it to his inner circle and he has revealed some great spiritual truths and his identity but they're not to share it yet when the people the crowds that he would minister to uh, would make similar um, uh, confessions you're the Christ the son of the living God um, Jesus would tell them, especially people that he healed, no, don't go and tell anybody this. Because the problem was, as soon as word got out, as soon as the crowds of people began to hail him as king, he was going to run into trouble. Now, ultimately, we understand that's where he is going, Palm Sunday, Easter week, but it wasn't the time then. Now is the time that he reveals himself to all because from time eternal this has been planned and now is the time to reveal who he is and have the Jewish leaders go to the Romans for his crucifixion. This is now the time. So today we're going to see three things. Three things about his entrance into Jerusalem. Let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3 first. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, it wasn't that Jesus had been walking all the way from Galilee, and he's just almost into Jerusalem and says, Guys, I am just too tired. Go get me a donkey and I'll ride in. That wasn't the issue. He was riding in because for the last well over a thousand years, this is the way that royalty had ridden on a donkey. Now, if you had come for war, you were riding a horse. If you come for peace, you were riding a donkey. And we see this in the Old Testament. We see uh, in... um, Solomon comes in in 1 Kings. We see this in Judges in several places. We see it in 2 Samuel. Uh, A donkey was considered a perfectly good animal for royalty to ride on. Okay, Horses for war, donkeys for peace. And the crowd cries out, Hosanna to the son of David. So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're getting the symbolism here of him coming on into town on this donkey. But Jesus isn't the kind of Messiah that they want. He's not the kind of Messiah that they're hoping to find. 
He's the Messiah that they need, but they don't understand that. And how many of us, prior to our coming to Christ and receiving him as Lord and Savior, really didn't understand that what I really needed was Jesus. I think I had everything that I needed. I was doing well. I was successful. Or maybe you had tried everything and you just could not find fulfillment. Your heart was just not at rest. But you didn't think you needed Jesus. Until he calls you by name and suddenly your heart is changed and you're going, this was all that I needed. This is all that I needed. See, we need more than deliverance from the Romans. You need deliverance from your sins. That's what he was saying to them. Only then can you really be free. If Jesus, if you'll just come in, gather an army, kick these Romans out, then we'll be free. And he's like, no, no, no. You believe in me. If your heart is right with me, then you'll have true freedom. True freedom. The only kind of king that can give that to you is the king that Jesus is. Only a king who is humble enough to die for our sins can give you the kind of deliverance that you need. And this is something, unfortunately, I think the church is, the, the church in a larger form is, is Dropping the ball on. We've relegated this message second, third, sometimes even fourth place. Church is often is seen as presenting uh, or, ex- or is expected to be a place to find happiness. Okay, my life's a mess. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to find happiness. Um, maybe it's a place to find uh, where God can provide me with success. Maybe it's a place to come to feel good and to get jazzed up because the week's going to be tough and I need to get, you know, I get, a, get a little shot and get ready for the rest of the week. Or a place where the wholeness of body and mind and spirit can be found. Those are all man-made ideas of what church is. Church is first and foremost a place to find or be found by the Lord Jesus Christ and then to worship him. It's where you find deliverance from sin. And once you're free from that, the rest of the stuff may or may not matter anymore because you have actually found the freedom that you sought in Jesus Christ. So secondly, he's coming according to Scripture, which, if you've been around any time, is no surprise to you. Okay? The Old Testament is full of images and prophecies relative to to this. Now it's clear that Jesus has either planned these events um, without the apostles knowing or that the Holy Spirit has gone before to prepare some hearts to get ready for this. Now Zechariah 9 of course, rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion, shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem, behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation humble and mounted on a colt. Um, now, Matthew here reads kind of awkwardly about what Jesus is saying here. Go back to uh, verse 2. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So this has a, uh, a pre-planned or a miraculous kind of vibe to it here. Uh, it also fulfills the prophet Zechariah, of course. Um, now, which one did Jesus ride? 
Now, if you just read, if this is the only one that you have, go into the village, immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. Um, Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them, and put them, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. So what, there was this like a, the ride in both of them? I mean, that's, that's kind of what it sounds like, right? Uh, that he's in, and he sat on them. Uh, I'm a, we're going to linguistically, them are the cloaks. He rides the unridden offspring of the donkey. He's riding the foal of the donkey uh, that we find in other uh, gospels, okay? So um, it, it's really not any, any problem. It's Hebrew parallelism. Uh, often uh, the Hebrews would write the same thing twice, just a little bit different language. That's what he is doing here. But Jesus is showing by his actions, in accordance with this, in accordance with Zechariah, that I'm going to live by the book, I'm going to suffer by the book, I'm going to die by the book, and I'm going to be resurrected by the book, in accordance with the scriptures, okay? in accordance with the word of God. And there are all types of pervasive, persuasive uh, voices in our society that, that are saying, hey, you know what, this is fine, but let me tell you about what the Lord has shown to me that you will not find here. I have got some new truth for you. And, and you know, the, the new truth better be the same as the old truth, or it's not truth at all. If anybody comes to you and says, you know, the Lord has given me this revelation, and it's new, so therefore it supersedes what is in Scripture, you just tell them to go hit the road, okay? Because they're making it up as they go. It's not. Jesus lived by the book. And when we say the book, he's referring to the Old Testament here. Everything that he did was in accordance with Scripture. Should we live any any other way? Well, Scripture doesn't talk about everything in our lives, but the principles are laid out. We need to conform our lives to what Jesus says. And Jesus' life and ministry is exactly what the Old Testament said the Messiah's life and ministry would be. So he's rooting his claim to be the Messiah. He's rooting his claim to be the King of the Jews in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures. So anytime somebody points you to something that they think about Jesus or about God that you cannot find here in the word, it's error. And therefore it is motivated from Satan. It's plain and simple. Number three, verse eight. What did the people do? Well, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him. So Matthew here is delineating between different groups of people. Okay, you've got the crowds before, you've got the crowds that follow. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, cut branches. Um, Then, um, uh, as as I said, this has kind of this uh, miraculous uh, pre-planned uh, sense to it. Uh, the crowds that went before him and that followed him are shouting. So Matthew is distinguishing um, between these people. Uh, some are already in Jerusalem. Some probably joined the, uh, the caravan, so to speak, on the way to Jerusalem. Um, and when he comes in to town, verse 10, the whole city is stirred up. 
saying, who is this? Who is this? Now, the entire city is not excited about Jesus. Perhaps anxious is a better term. Because, remember, in, in the early part of Matthew, and the Magi show up, and all of Jerusalem is uh, stirred up. I forget the exact word there uh, that is used, but it's a very similar word that is used here. Jesus arrives again. The entire city is stirred up. Well, it doesn't say everybody loved the fact that Jesus was coming into town. More like anxious. More like um, aware of. But there are plenty of people who are there, obviously, throwing their palm branches, their cloaks, shouting Hosanna. Some were very, very excited. Others more wary, wary of what is going on. I think it's safe to assume that part of the crowds, um, uh, people in the crowds, perhaps had heard of the raising of the dead from, of Lazarus that happened just a few miles outside of town. Um, and then there are some people who are following Jesus, as I said, probably pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem for this week, for the Passover. Um, and the question is, is asked in verse 10. The whole city was stirred up saying, well, who is this? And the crowds say, this, we don't get this in English, the crowds really are referencing the crowds following Jesus. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And, of course, you can remember what one of the disciples said. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, the Son of God can come from Nazareth. Okay? The answer is, this is the prophet Jesus. Now, he's more than just a prophet. Uh, he is, but he is more than that. He's Jesus of Nazareth, but he's also your king, the son of David, the Messiah. And that's the answer to the most important question that people will ask. Well, who is this Jesus? Famous sermon years ago, who is this man called Christ? Okay, and that's the question for each of us. Who is this who comes in the name of the Lord? Who is this man? Who is this one called Christ? And Jesus makes it crystal clear in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. So what Jesus is saying here by entering in this way, and then elaborating on it in other places, he is the only means to get to the Heavenly Father. Now, if you're a member of a church, at some point in your time, you said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus is saying to us like this, well, who is this? If you say, well, who is this Jesus? I, I just don't know. Okay, I hear a lot about him. I, 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 you know, my family talks about him. Um, uh, he makes a lot of claims, and I'm just not sure about him. Who is this Jesus? He's not the kind of king you want. He's the kind of king you need. He's the kind of Messiah that you need. And you don't fully grasp it until the Lord comes upon your heart and changes you, and your eyes are open, one to your sin and your need for Christ and need for this Messiah, for he is the only one, the true one, the way, the truth, the life, for no one gets to the Father 
except through him. So let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today and uh, so many did not understand that Jesus was the Messiah they needed. They were looking for earthly satisfaction like so many of us have sought in our lives. To find fulfillment here in this world, in the things of this world. To find happiness and peace in these material things of this world. To find it in the things that will pass away. But when you call us by name, when you draw us unto yourself and say you no longer belong to the world, you belong to me. For my son has given his life to atone for your sin and now we are made new in him. Then our eyes are open and we see this glorious gift of grace that you've given to us. And those other things don't seem quite as important. Yes, we live in this world. Yes, we are called to excel and to do our our best in all things. But our hope and our glory lay in Christ Jesus. For the things of this world will pass away, but he will come back for us, for those who belong to him. So Heavenly Father, move in our hearts today. If we have a question about who is this man called Christ? Who is this Jesus who rode in humble to Jerusalem? Open our eyes so that we will see. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who comes to save us. And we pray in his name. Amen.